I cannot believe you got these microphones working. All boys are good with uh, technology. Um, I have heard, yes. Yeah. That's it's true that like, when I used to work in an office, like it was all women and they'd just be like, Daniel, you're good with computers. And I was like, you've literally just met me. But then I could already, I was always able to solve their problems. So yeah. that proves Help us, mighty testosterone machine. Exactly, yeah. Um, it's not science because we know that the computers have been devised by a patriarchal system. So it's no wonder that a man would be good at solving the problems. Like Ada Lovelace, motherfucker. Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hello, you are listening to Save Me From My Shelf, the literature comedy podcast. I am Abby, and Fish and Chip sitting across from me is Daniel. You might notice that we have a new sound today. Yes. We've upgraded to having two microphones. Stereo. <laughs> instead, of, instead of sharing one mic, we've also um artfully put blankets on the walls in my office to absorb the sound. I hate the big picture window in the office because people are going to walk by going, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. we've, we've made a rad blanket fort. So we don't have any letters or book recommendations today. In a previous episode, it was sort of revealed that Daniel and I aren't friends in real life. Actually, this is just a stunt for the podcast. So corporate, you know, they have their ongoing quest to make us real friends. This week, they locked us out on a freezing balcony and uh, refused to let us back inside until we found out what we had in common. Mm. What did we find, Daniel? Uh, susceptibility to cold. Susceptibility to banisters. Is that what you have on? Or balustrade, I suppose, is what you have on a balcony. I don't know. That was, that was a topic of much discussion, primarily just myself kind of talking back and forth. Well, they told us we couldn't use the whole we're both cold excuse, but by that point, I mean, it was either that or kill us off, so... They don't want to lose this cash cow. No, yeah, corporate proving down our next. But that's the thing, like, they need us more than we need them. That's the, that's the irony, isn't it? Yeah. So our text today was recommended to us by Sydney, our fan. I wonder if Sydney should maybe study abroad. Do a year abroad at Aston. I've studied abroad, or two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Carry on. Sorry, it took me a minute to get that, because you're, you're not normally a sort of leering gentleman, but it was a little, little eyebrow wiggle that you did that cued yeah. me in on what the joke yeah. was. Yeah, so Sydney, if you want to come to Aston, you want to come to Birmingham, I don't know if you'll like it. It's like East Berlin and the Shire had a baby, but you know. Yeah, that is exactly what it's like. Yeah, well done. So Daniel, what is our text today? The year 1600-ish. Uh, good Queen Bess is on the throne, the first one. We're in merry old London town, and you better believe that old London and town have ease on the end. Mary's probably got an eye on the, an eye <laughs> on the end. You know, that sort of situation. There's just extraneous ease everywhere. So what do you want to get up to tonight? Got any thoughts? Grab a small beer, maybe? Or you could go dancing, do a few galliards, Almains. Oh, Volta. I'm a Volta woman. Right, sorry, sorry. Well, there's plenty of uh, blood sports. Watch uh, bears get torn apart by dogs, or maybe, I don't know if you're of noble descent, but we could go in the royal parks and shoot some deer. Alternatively, there are a few theatres on the South Bank. Uh, and the Lord Chamberlain's men, they got a new play on by, you know that Shakespeare, they got a new play on by him? Hack. Yeah, well, this one's supposed to be pretty good. 
don't know if you heard of it. Uh, it's kind of four and a half hours of a guy kind of moping around not doing anything. Oh, that does sound good. So it's much better than dancing, drinking, or killing things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's called Hamlet. Nah. Okay. Weak title. Yeah, f that then. Okay. So it goes without saying, we are about to spoil this text for you. The trigger warnings are madness, suicide, murder, and incest. Do you want to do some background? So we've, we've already covered Shakespeare, haven't we, last, last series. You know the score, Stratford, Sonnets, Second Best Beds. It's nice to have two beds, one of which is slightly better than the other. Did he write the plays? What do you think? There are some controversies about was Shakespeare actually the guy who wrote all of these plays. We thought we'd run you through some of the uh, the best conspiracy theories. Yeah, that guy didn't, didn't write shit. Yeah, the first one is that there were two Shakespeare's. Uh, one who came from Stratford and was a... Uh, uh, first of all, I'm already going <laughs> to interrupt myself and say that's mad, isn't it? To, you, you disbelieve that Shakespeare wrote the play so much that you invent two Shakespeare's. <laughs> uh, there's, there's something illogical going on there. But anyway, the, so the first one is that there was one in Stratford who was a wealthy grain trader and one who in London was pretty penniless because we know that he was uh, pursued by tax collectors. Well, by way of a counterpoint, the Shakespeare in Stratford, in his will, mentioned London theatre people, specifically the London Shakespeare's colleagues. So, if they were two different men, why would some totally disconnected grain merchant in Stratford be mentioning... Burbage and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, um, so that was one conspiracy theory. Give me another one, Daniel. The next is that Francis Bacon wrote Shakespeare's works instead, and he just got, like, Shakespeare to be his sort of, like, stool pigeon. Francis Bacon, intellectual... Kind of a learned guy. Uh, <laughs> he was busy doing other things, but he, um, you know, so he didn't want to be associated with the dodgy theatre scene. But clearly, he was just like had, had such a such a yen for literary composition that he had to had to get it out somewhere, and so he did it via this Shakespeare Patsy character. And um, Bacon was a big fan of Pallas Athena, the uh, spear shaker. So there's a little kind of maybe it's a little, you know, pun on his pseudonym or what have you. Well, as a counterpoint, Bacon criticized popular drama. Francis Bacon also was on the commission that sort of opposed Shakespeare's theatrical troupe forming into a theater, so he would be actively sabotaging his own work if that were the case. That brings us to the next one, doesn't it? Edward de Vere, the, uh, what was he, Earl of Oxford or something? Sure. His coat of arms had an image of a lion shaking a spear, and he marked passages in his personal Bible, which correspond to biblical allusions in Shakespeare's works, so they clearly were interested in the same things if, they, if indeed they were not the same person. My counterpoint is that de Vere was a writer. He had a very public writing career, as did Shakespeare. They both had wildly different and both equally public writing careers. Also, de Vere died in 1604, and 13 of Shakespeare's plays, including his most notable works, were written after then, so... Ooh, he obviously kept him in a kind of, uh, trust or something. <laughs> so, Christopher Marlowe is the other option. He was uh, also <laughs> a playwright. He uh, had a suspicious death, because he was a spy and things, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. So, and there's the kind of idea that maybe he kind of just faked his own death and carried on as Shakespeare because apparently having two great playwrights in the Elizabethan period is, is too much for the uh, self-hating English. Yeah, counterpoint is that some of Shakespeare's works were published before Marlowe's death and attributed to Shakespeare, so even if we're assuming the fake death thing is real, although I know some detractors say that this is a scheme long in the making, so they set up Shakespeare as a believable frontman, you know, anticipating that uh, Marlowe was going to be sort of arrested for treason. And also, Marlowe was killed within the jurisdiction of the Queen's coroner, and there were 16 jurors to view the body. Ooh. So even assuming that all the jurors could be bribed, it's unlikely that the coroner could have been bought off. 
So, Hamlet. So the play maps onto the older kind of medieval legend of Amleth, but maybe I'll, not to spoil what happens in the play, I'll, I'll describe what happens afterwards. In addition to the legend of Amleth, let's not forget that Shakespeare had a son called Hamnet. Yes. Who died right before this in Shakespeare in sort of a peak of grief over fathers and sons and death wrote this play. So we open on the middle of the night in a castle in Denmark. There are a bunch of guards keeping watch and they're gossiping that they've seen that thing again. It's shown up at night. It's the thing. And then a motherfucking ghost enters and it's the ghost of their recently dead king, Hamlet Sr. And all the guards sort of hide behind this dude named Horatio and they're just kind of like, you say something to it. And so Horatio works up his nerve. He goes up there and he's like, What's up, buddy? You sure do look like the old dead king Hamlet Sr. Are you? And the ghost is like, I don't understand the question. And he gets offended and he leaves. My question to you, Daniel, is what the f*** is the ghost doing up here on the battlements where there's nobody he really cares about? He should be down in the castle making everyone dance to the banana boat song. Um, I don't know what to say to that. This is a waste of a perfectly good haunting. Unimpressed. I suppose he doesn't want other people knowing about it, maybe. Certain <sighs> individuals. But the certain individuals, that would that would be enough to drive them mad. He doesn't need to enact this whole plan, does he? Yeah, alright. It's that, flawed. You, would, the, the, you could ruin... The place dog shit. Okay, <laughs> thank you. You've shown me now. So everyone concludes that being haunted is not a great sign, which is, you know, <laughs> glad to have you on the case, Sherlock. And maybe it had something to do with Denmark's war against Norway, because apparently Hamlet Sr. killed the king of Norway, Fortinbras Sr., in war. I am determined to make this a queer reading. I think these two were in love. They manufactured this whole war just so they could have lots of opportunities to meet on the battlefield yeah. in isolated tents away Penetrate from everyone. one another, yeah. Uh, I'm so sorry. Filthy. I think the death is just a suicide pact gone wrong, like Romeo and Juliet. We have currently no evidence to the contrary. Uh, I mean, they later unified, didn't they, Denmark and Norway, so... There we go. Yeah, there's your classic queer reading. Sweden and Finland look a bit like, um... Dongs. Yeah, well, like, and the balls. So, uh, but I suppose Norway and Denmark aren't really involved in that, are they? (laughs) Anyway, because Ouija boards haven't been invented yet, the dudes decide the best way to get the ghost to talk to them and, and... tell them why he's haunting them is to bring up the ghost's son, Hamlet Jr., to the battlements the next time the ghost appears. So, we cut to the next day in the royal court, and the vibes are just off. And that's because there's a slightly unusual situation here. King Hamlet Sr. has died, but instead of the throne passing to his son, Hamlet Jr., for some reason it's passed to the dead king's brother, Claudius, And weirder still, King Claudius has decided to marry the dead king's widow, Queen Gertrude. So Gertrude has managed to keep her job, even though there's been a corporate restructuring, which Mm, I admire. mm, She's a survivor. mm. Good for you. They ate the leftovers from old Hamlet's funeral at the wedding, (laughs) which, um, yeah, it's good to be economical when you're running a a state. Look, somebody's got to eat this potato salad <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah 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 i bet there was a lot of potato salad at all garnish it with some dill no one will ever yeah, yeah, notice yeah, yeah. Wipe, wipe some vinegar on that yeah yeah 
King Claudius comes in and he's like, hey, I am totally broken up about my dead brother, yada yada, life simply must go on. You know, please, Claudius, this outpouring of grief is embarrassing. King Claudius talks to his nephew son, Hamlet, and he's like, why are you still so sad? It's been almost two whole months since your dad died. Look how bravely I am trying to move on, just really gritting my teeth through nonstop bang sessions with your mom for the good <laughs> of the country. So we get Hamlet's state of mind here, and he's real depressed, and he gives us one of the more famous speeches in the play, Oh, that this too, too sullied flesh would melt. So in other words, he's saying, this whole situation is super creepy and makes me feel dirty. I wish I could just vaporize and join the ether. I'm pretty sure my mom and uncle were f***ing before my dad died, and the idea of that is the grossest thing I can think of. I like all the diff different parallels that have already been established. So we've got, Claudius says that he's going to write to Uncle Norway, who's the new king of Norway, mm -hmm. to try and make peace with them. And also then there's the fort in Brass' son. Mm -hmm. So we've got this exactly the same thing happening happening in, in Norway. You know, let's see how those two compare you know, down, down the line. But Hamlet's a student, isn't he? He's in his, he's in his 30s, but uh, he, uh, or we assume he is, but he's still a student, you know, like a real dream of being. He's a student in Wittenberg, the home of the Reformation, so something maybe worth bearing in mind there. Um, but instead of going back to university, his, his parents, well, his new, his new dad and his mom are like, they can't stay a while in Denmark, you know, come on. Please do not move back in with your mom on her honeymoon. That is the lamest thing I can think of. Like, he is one pair of taped glasses away from his virginity growing back. I'm just going to say it. Okay, great. Um, assuming that he lost it in the first place. I mean, meanwhile, his sort of opposite number in the court, Laertes, uh, son of the king's top advisor Polonius. He's studying in France for his studies and he will be going back so that's, you know, interesting. More parallels. Yeah, more parallels. So Hamlet's a kind of sardonic, alienated, kind of weirdo. Laertes is, you know, all around, all around good guy, captain of the football team. You know, he's kind of one of those sort of squeaky, squeaky clean, all, all Danish lads. Uh, I mean, I'm seeing a little parallel maybe to uh, this, the hosts of this podcast. All right. Which one of us is which, I will leave the listeners to decide. Which one of us is the attractive captain of the football team and which one of us is a sort of, um... <laughs> I was gonna say something very mean there. Go uh, on, go on, no, I, wanna, I need to hear it now. <laughs> I was gonna say a sardonic 30-year-old virgin. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. No, I don't mind. Okay. Yep, that's me. I'm very conscious of the parallels between me and Hamlet, so you don't need to press them home. So, Laertes has a sister. She's called Ophelia. And uh, she and Hamlet, they're, they're a bit of an item, aren't they? But Laertes is like, before I go, sis, a prince's will is not his own, so he, can't, he probably doesn't even really have a choice in who he's going to marry, but, you know, just don't, don't get too attached to the guy. Next! Polonius turns up, you know, the kind of vizier of the Danish court, and uh, he's also a boring bastard like Laertes, and um, he's kind of like, you know, we have a new stage of advice. He kind of gives his son a few homilies to live by while, it, while he's in France, so, you know, we get the old, neither a borrower nor a lender be, to your own self be true, all of that stuff, you know, just kind of standard kind of dad homilies, and then also he kind of redoubles Laertes' warning to Ophelia, saying, you know, don't, don't get too attached to Hamlet. Come. Yeah, princes are playboys as well. I like the idea of Hamlet tagging along with all the famous like Lotharios of history in the 90s, hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire and just bumming them out and scaring all the supermodels away. So Horatio comes in and Hamlet, despite not even being like 100% sure of Horatio's name, goes, Hey, listen, my self-esteem isn't great right now. Do you want to be my best friend? You'll do. 
And Horatio's like, great, sure. As your new best friend, it falls upon me to tell you that I saw your dad's ghost last night. Want to check it out? Hamlet, Horatio, and the guards quickly turn into the Stand By Me gang and go have a bonding experience over a dead guy. So, that night, up in ghost country, Scoob and the gang wait for King Daddy's ghost, and he enters and he motions for- Why are you giggling? Scooby-Doo. Trying to think who everyone would be. Is Hamlet Scrappy and Claudius Scooby? the ghost have a chat and the ghost is like hey son i super wish we could talk about how much purgatory sucks but i'm on the clock here here's the deal everyone thinks that i died of a snake bite that's new information i did not know that but i was actually murdered and you need to go on a roaring rampage of revenge for me your uncle claudius poured some poison in my ear which is apparently a method of murder in fact i think there was a similar plot on a james bond film and he killed me and he took my crown and my woman I would be super jealous, except if your mother can go so fast from a golden god like me to someone who's pure trash like my brother, I guess she's not really worth the effort. But even though I think your mother is a dirty skank, don't kill her, just leave her with her own guilt. But you absolutely need to smoke yourself some fools. Especially Claudius, fuck that guy. And Hamlet's like, this is a lot to process. And the ghost is like, Dawn's coming, bye! So... I think Hamlet Sr. doesn't really have the meal-stopping drama of somebody like Banquo in Macbeth, but this is a solid avenge-me-haunting. This this, he's a B-plus wraith. This is another opportunity for the Banana Boat song, Wasted. Keep hammering that Tim Burton drum. You don't hammer uh, drums. <laughs> Hamlet returns to all the guys, and they ask what happened. And Hamlet's like, buckle in, because I can't tell you what's about to happen, but I'm going to start acting really weird, and I'm going to get dark with it. And I just need you all to tacitly support whatever I do. And they all sort of put their hands in a circle and go, okay, because this is sort of um, the Danish medieval equivalent of the best friends gang in 30 Rock. We need some quotes, don't we? Claudius has made the royal bed of Denmark a couch for luxury and damned incest. That's, that's, the ghost is good, isn't it? The ghost is quite scary. Yeah, but if you're a ghost, you have a lot of time to think up lines like that. You've probably got some aristocrat or Francis Bacon or someone to, to come up with them for you. So, Polonius is scheming in his flat or apartment. They call it that in a castle, don't they? When Ophelia turns up, she's like, oh, I was just sewing. And Hamlet arrived with his doublet all unbraced, no hat upon his head, <gasps> his <laughs> stockings fouled. Uh... Pale as his shirt, his knees knocking each other, etc. So he's got his shit all down his leg. That's I'm, what I'm assuming that means. I'm not a Shakespearean scholar, but that's what I'm thinking that means. I'm more concerned that he's not wearing a hat than that he shit himself. We've all got standards. The Prince of Denmark, he's lost it. And uh, Polonius is like, oh no, he's obviously gone mad with love for Ophelia. It's my fault for warning my daughter off him. So they go and see Claudius. Famously, when people fall in love and they shit themselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should have saved this for the Valentine's Day special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, tugging in the old heartstrings. Hamlet's madness, whatever you want to call it, is the talk of the court. Everyone's banging on about it. Two of his, sort of, uh, the zanier of his sort of friendship group from university, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, they're visiting. And uh, Claudius can't really tell who's who, but he's like, why don't you... Keep an eye on old Hamlet, and uh, as in young Hamlet, and uh, you know, just check check what, check if he's all right. Daniel, you know what we haven't had on this podcast in ages? Yeah. Himbos. Oh uh, yeah, yes, yes. We got finally. some himbos. Oh, Jesus, yeah, we've not long last have the get the old um, 
sound effect out of, out of the archive. Yeah. Oh, God. And Just two as well. Two, two interchangeable himbos, my favourite kind of himbos. Oh, God, this is replenishing my electrolytes. I love this so much. Himbos that are also spies, the best kind of himbo. <laughs> <laughs> Just two chuckle fucks bumbling their way around this court. I uh, already know that I'm going to cast, although I never cast, Chuckle Brothers are playing... <laughs> Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and they're himbos too, aren't they? Um, also, some Norwegian diplomats turn up. There's always diplomats turning up in Hamlet, I like that. They say that the King of Norway is like, don't worry about it, Claudius. My nephew Fortinbras, he's not going to be invading Denmark anytime soon, so you don't Oof. need to worry about that. Yeah, phew. That's good. Hamlet turns up. He says a few mad things. He calls Polonius a fishmonger. That's funny. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, they greet Hamlet, who rec recognises pretty quickly that they were sent by the good King and Queen to monitor him. So we get one of his famous speeches. What a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculties in form and moving, how express and admirable in action, how like an angel in apprehension, how like a god, and yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me, no, nor woman neither. So mm. he's, he's in a bit of a bad mood, isn't he? Girl, Horatio delights you though a little bit. Let's, come on. Yeah. Um, Man delights not me, nor woman neither, but if I had to pick one, it'd probably be a man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I kind of wonder what's going on here, because obviously, like, Hamlet's sort of putting on his madness with the fishmonger bit, but he's also... He opens the play depressed. But he's already, yeah, he's... So he's already, yeah, like, he's got problems. tending he's, towards mental he's lean, health. He's leaning into his uh, yeah. psych psychological disturb disturbances. Also, I mean, I just don't believe that Hamlet could ever have friends. Horatio is his boyfriend, there's a different thing going on there. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, I'm like, what would lead these two knuckleheads to... Yeah, you're in the same halls of residence, you know. They're all, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are already not really his friends, are they? Because they're spying on him for his uncle's benefit. Mm -hmm. And I think it will quite quickly transpire that Hamlet's not really friends with them either. So it's one of those kind of friendships. Yeah. The best kind. Um, I don't really have friendships like that, but apparently you have loads where you just hate all your actual friends and just want them to fail. If there was some way that I could, uh... I don't want to spoil the play, but we are spoiling it anyway. But if there was some way I could doctor some letters to get my friends killed, that would be pretty sweet. I have never been so glad to not actually be friends with you. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern tell Hamlet, they're like, oh, you seem depressed, Hamlet, after that little speech. Good news, though, some uh, travelling players are headed for Elsinore, so maybe they'll cheer you up. Hamlet is then like, takes the takes one of the actors to one side, and is like, could you do me a little favour? Could you, uh on a specific play, The Murder of Gonzago, uh, and I've, I've added a few of my own bits, I'm an uh, aspiring playwright, can you just do me a little favour here, can you do, do me a sort of little, like, little fanfic? And he's like, I'm going to have these players play something like the murder of my father before my uncle, and in so doing he'll gauge Claudius's response. The play is the thing wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. So I don't know if you think this is a foolproof plan to try and just terrible idea it's an odd it's an odd move i think i read something recently that was saying elizabethans really did do this they had like they staged actual true crime plays often to uh, get like sort of like get people that had been accused of doing the crimes to sort of uh, feel guilty and all like to slander them you were shitting no me. they really did do this there was, Are you no, I'm not. No, it's not. I, I read it in the London Review of Books. There was a really funny one that some guy had tried to. He like had intentions on some merchant's daughter, and she married someone else. And he did like a put a play on about her, like sort of scamming him. So, so that's a pretty boring play, isn't it? Just watching some merchant's daughter not marry. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Hamlet's alone now, and he gives yet another big monologue, and this is his What a Rogue and Peasant Slave Am I speech. So in other words, he's talking about how much he hates play acting and pretending, you know, he, he doesn't want to do one thing while feeling another. And this is actually very similar to the Unpack My Heart with Words speech that Lady Macbeth gives. So I find this fascinating because Shakespeare, in a play, clearly has bones to pick with the idea of acting. Or is it the opposite? Is it kind of like an ironic thing that we're all meant to be like, <laughs> what a pompous twit Hamlet is, you know, the rest of us do it all the time, some of us professionally, including the person embodying Hamlet on the stage, Richard Burbage. Especially when Hamlet's just gone on about, like, the vision for my play. <laughs> a beam of light. <laughs> Gonzago in the middle of the stage. A single ladder you know, <laughs> up against on a black yeah, stage. Yeah, it's a bit Samuel Beckett. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in Act 3 now, and King Claudius is yelling at everyone because they have done neither jack nor shit to de-crazy Hamlet in the, like, 35 minutes they've been trying. So Claudius says, like, right, in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to try to put Hamlet in the path of Ophelia, who he's maybe in love with. I don't know. Is that why he's crazy? Who can tell? He's At a test. Why you do Italian accent? Then Polonius studied in uh, Modena for some years, and he picked up some of the vocal patterns. That's in the Polonius, the prequel, my favorite book. Are, really, you're going to do a Disney Plus prequel spin-off? Yeah, yeah. On Polonius. Polonius. <laughs> you boring yeah, bastard. Yeah, yeah, that would be so boring. You would be there with your tub of hand fruit instead of popcorn, just like <laughs> yeah. little, little eyes wrapped at the yeah, screen. I can't believe Polonius <laughs> met Duke Cosimo of Modena. Why do I feel like you have a fanfic about this somewhere in an old notebook? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Carry on. So, Is it this? <laughs> so... Okay, we're gonna put Hamlet in Ophelia's path. We'll see if he has gone mad with love. Um, I just think, don't you people have a country to run? This is so eighth grade. This is very That's the point, isn't I it? I know, I know, but we are a heartbeat away from Claudius passing notes to Gertrude with a little, do you think Hamlet is in love with Ophelia? Tick yes or no. So this is when Hamlet comes to his big to be or not to be speech because we haven't had a monologue in eight Christing minutes. And so the, the whole to be or not to be thing comes down to should I commit suicide or not? Should I be alive or not to be or not to be, right? And he basically, he, he sort of dithers over this because he's like, I bet death feels the same as sleeping and everyone loves sleeping. Except sometimes when you're sleeping, you have bad dreams, which sucks. So what if death just turns out to be some big bad dream that you can't get away from? Hmm, I need to think about this some more. But I just, I think Hamlet needs to take an actual nap at this point. Just like, honey, go rosy up them cheeks. So Hamlet is interrupted from his musings by Ophelia. And Ophelia is like, Zup fucko, I've been meaning to give you back your toothbrush and your mixtapes and other trinkets of our romantic past. I am breaking up with you. What do you think Danish people give each other as tokens of courtship? Bicycles? I was going to say pastries. Lego. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get your Lego v anymore. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're saucy this episode. So Ophelia says, we're not a thing anymore because you've been kind of acting like a dick to me. So Hamlet responds by calling her a whore and saying he never loved her. Yeah, you so, think I've acted like a dick? Just, just yeah, you listen to this. Yeah. Then he goes on this whole tirade about how Ophelia should join a convent to make sure she never has any kids. I'm just going to point out, you don't need to join a convent to not have kids. But it helps. 
because why should we populate the world when everyone is just an asshole and he wishes he'd never been born? And Ophelia just kind of backs away. She's like, you're going through a whole thing. I'm just, I'm gonna skadooch. They've got a whole won't they or won't they vibe going on, which... <laughs> Mm, love the certainty. <laughs> love that for them. Claudius, meanwhile, is eavesdropping on the whole thing, and he thinks that Hamlet isn't actually crazy. He thinks he's putting it on and doing something much more dangerous. You are correct, sir! He's canny, and he Claudius. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we cut to the night of the play, and Hamlet has gone full diva director, giving all these notes <laughs> to the actors so they can fully like realize his vision. So the play that we're about to see... The best thing I can say about it is that at least some actors got their equity hours in. I imagine all these actors leaving go, I cannot believe these checks cleared. And Hamlet ropes Horatio into watching Claudius, like monitoring him when the play is on, so they can see Claudius's reaction. And Hamlet puts on his big old crazy act to everyone in the audience. He pretends he's forgotten what day it is, and he starts sexually harassing Ophelia. Mm. This sounds like a film producer with dementia, just confusion and grab-assing. And then the play starts, and it acts out the entire murder of this old king. He lays down in an orchard, and someone pours poison in his ear, and he dies. And then the murderer marries the king's widow. Not the strongest play. This is something... I would only watch, like, over someone's shoulder on a plane. Mm, yeah. They could have been watching Polonius in Modena. That's the prequel to Hamlet they should have been watching. Instead, they're watching the orchard murder scene. <laughs> Claudius, apparently, this, this plan works because Claudius falls into the mousetrap, which is what Hamlet actually names the play, and he has a proper freakout and he flees the room. And Hamlet and Horatio view this as a confession of his guilt, but everyone else is just like, what the f*** is happening? I cannot believe Hamlet's plan worked. I know, I like that, yeah. This guy is playing 3D chess and we are all playing checkers. He's had a difficult time. It's nice that someone's turned up for him, I think. Uh, I... <laughs> is this... It could have just written a sh play and Claudius was like, God, this is so <laughs> shit. I'm walking out. <laughs> you, know, the... you, you can't tell if it's for aesthetic or moral reasons. <laughs> So Hamlet's like, great, I've got proof that my uncle's a murderer and I'll go and speak to my mum about it. Uh, I won't kill her, despite wanting to. I will speak daggers to her, but use none. So that's nice of news. Claudius, meanwhile, he's planning on getting rid of his nephew. Um, why? Yeah, why indeed. Uh, why couldn't you just send him back to Wittenberg? That never gets explained. It's like term started, hasn't it? You know, <laughs> but, but whatever. So he commissions Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to accompany Hamlet to an embassy, brackets, exile in England. Polonius alerts Claudius that Hamlet has gone to speak with Gertrude, and he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll, uh, I'll eavesdrop on proceedings uh, from behind an arras. There were a few arrases. What the, is an arras? It's a kind of uh, tapestry type thing, but not like doing that you're always hiding behind curtains and listening to people yeah well maybe i'll get my comeuppance as we will see yeah um, why do you do that because i'm a sicko uh yeah you always say it relaxes you <laughs> <laughs> claudius he's alone now and he has his own little soliloquy he's like i really did kill old hamlet my offense is rank it smells to heaven my cursed hand is thicker than itself with brother's blood. Is there not rain enough in those sweet heavens to wash it white as snow? Um, there, there's a lot to do with smells in this place. Well, the, sort of, the, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. There's my office's rank, it smells to heaven. There's a bit later about, well, so, somebody who's going to die, their bodies. There's a whole allusion to it smelling. There's a most olfactory play. It's... <laughs> 
Sorry, you're, you're locking eyes with me in a very disconcerting way. Hamlet happens to wander by in that way that Hamlet periodically does, and sees his uncle in this moment of solitary reflection. So it's a perfect opportunity to kill him as uh, his dad wishes. And then he's like, hmm, well, if I kill him while he's praying, does that mean he'll just go to straight to heaven? I'll kind of be rewarding the guy. No, he won't go to heaven. You're Catholics. This is written by a Protestant. Well, Hamlet might not be a Catholic man. He, he studies in Wittenberg. That's not revenge, is it? Sending, sending your uncle to heaven for murdering your dad? No, leave him on earth to suffer a bit more. So I won't murder him. Uh, I'll, I'll wait until he's in a kind of slightly more profane context, when he's drunk asleep, or in his rage, or in the incestuous pleasure of his bed, at game, a swearing, or about some act that has no relish of salvation, int. One hates to quote Austin Powers too on this podcast, but he's... Become a kind of uh, saying, hasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) He is uh, way overthinking this, much like Scott Evil said, for the love of God, just kill him while he's sitting on the crapper or something. Stop trying to plan this like you miss you're missing your opportunities i suppose if lots you have been visited by a ghost lots of parallels between lots of neck roughs yes that's true yeah. so doubles his dad oh yeah doubles mini me yeah. there you go yeah. look hey this hey do you want to write an article with me um yeah i think that's this would definitely deserve my seal of approval the other important thing here though is that there's a lot of irony because claudius isn't actually praying He's trying to pray, and he talks about how his his soul is so guilty, he can't get the prayers out. So Hamlet could have killed him His prayer constipated. (laughs) So Hamlet finally goes to his mother's bedroom, and they get into a huge fight about how fast she got remarried. Hamlet starts to get really violent and menacing with his mother, who worries that Hamlet's about to kill her. And a lot of productions have this sort of set where they roll around in bed a little bit, and... 400 years from now, a whole bunch of psychologists are going to go, well, this reminds me of nothing. Polonius, who's creeping behind Gertrude's curtains to eavesdrop, hears all this wrestling, and he screams for help. Hamlet, I, I don't quite know why he thinks it's Claudius behind the curtains, because he just left Claudius yeah, 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 silly, praying yeah. in another room. But okay. he's mad. But, so Hamlet thinks it's Claudius. He screams, bad news, dickhead, and stabs through the curtains. That's a direct quote, isn't it? Yeah. It is, actually, yeah. Yeah. Bad news, dickhead. (laughs) So he straight up ices Polonius. And he's like, oh, it's just Polonius, whatever. He's a no-good busybody. I'm surprised that Hamlet has never wondered if Polonius and his mother were having an affair. Because Polonius is kind of lurking around her bedchamber. But I suppose Polonius is so boring... Hamlet probably thinks, like, you'd fall asleep before you get to second base. Mm. Hamlet then corners his mother and forces her to look at portraits of his dad and of Claudius. And he's like, look how hot dad is. Dad is a goddamn snack. You go from this hunk of manhood to this piece of lowland inlet trash like Uncle Claudius? Have you no taste at all? Stop being horny. Then his dad's ghost shows up. But Gertrude can't see it, and the ghost is there to remind Hamlet to go easy on his mother, dirty slag though she is, and focus just on killing Claudius. And Gertrude is like, what the sweet fuck is happening? You really have gone crazy. Who are you talking to? Hamlet sort of ignores her. He finishes up with the ghost, and then turns to his mother and is like, I'm not crazy, you're crazy. And remember, stop fucking. Okay, love you, Mom. I just found out I have to go to England, which, sidebar, when did he find this out? Mm. And he drags off Polonius' body (laughs) to play around with. And this is yet another 
perfectly good opportunity for the banana boat song that Hamlet Sr. is not using. Yeah, play around with the body. That's weird. Is he getting like a minor in corpse art when he goes back to Wittenberg? It's just, this bit is so, with Polonius's body, it's so histrionically evil. Like five minutes ago, we were doing like slightly goofy plays and I blink and he becomes a wrestling villain. His, his characterization is quite uneven. Uh, it's a bad artwork, isn't it? This is a bad work of literature. So, Royce and Krantz and Guildenstern turn up and, and uh, like, as they often do. Himboishly? And, yeah, him, himboishly, uh, they turn up. Claudius is like, go and get Polonius' body for a good Christian burial. They go and find Hamlet and say, oh, where's Polonius' body? And he's like, he's, I'm not cooperating, no comment. They bring Hamlet to Claudius and he's like, I've had it up to here with your stepson. And Hamlet's like, you know, you're not my real dad. By the way, also I'm doing some mad shtick. A man may fish with the worm that hath eat of a king, and eat of the fish that fed, hath fed of that worm. A lot of uh, fuzz and fuzz there. Ergo, a king may go a progress through the guts of a beggar. So he's gone a bit weird. That's it. You, you know, you're going to England, uh, Claudius says. Go to your England. Yeah, go to your England, yeah. Uh, Hamlet, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, they all head off to the port. Meanwhile, Claudius has another little soliloquy. Is he Hamlet's real dad? Is that where Hamlet got his soliloquy <laughs> tendency from? I mean, they are biologically related. Well, we don't no, know. but Cla- old Hamlet... Hamlet Sr. might have... Nah, bollocks, did he? He was, off, he was a man of action. Claudius and Hamlet have a lot in common. Oh, I'm sorry, you're telling me that recessive genes can't pass down through families? No. What, you think Grandad Hamlet was a big soliloquizer? I don't know, bollocks. man. Bollocks. Claudius has a little soliloquy and he's like, In the diplomatic pouch I have enclosed a letter to the King of England requesting that he execute Hamlet upon his arrival. Don't make the King of England your lackey. This yeah, is just, not... Just kill him. Well, this yeah. is not in the Viking spirit. Are you telling me that you can't blood eagle your own prince in-house? This is bullshit. We get a little kind of moment's reprieve from the claustrophobic environment of Elsinore Castle. Because Fortinbras and his army, they are invading Denmark. Hamlet, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern come across the army on their way to the port and Hamlet, he kind of walks up to one of the Norwegian officers and is like, oh, where are you going? And, you know, he's a bit evasive. And Hamlet's like, hmm, this is going to be another complication in my revenge plot. You know, we get a kind of another of those many soliloquies. Also, he's a little bit jealous of Fortinbras and his gumption. I think Hamlet kind of realises that Fortinbras is perhaps the, the better version of himself. Hamlet goes off to England with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And meanwhile, however long later, Ophelia has gone crazy over the murder of her father Polonius. This play is sponsored to you by dads. Dads, whether it's your car breaking down, you need advice on how to grill something, you want to see someone sleep in a recliner, or you just plain want to hang on to your sanity, dads. Laertes comes back to court and he is pissed. He swears revenge on Hamlet for killing his father, and even more so when Ophelia stumbles in acting herself all crazy. I know this situation has gotten way out of hand and Hamlet has completely prompted all of this, but in fairness, Hamlet's dad's ghost did triple dog dare him, so. We then cut to Horatio talking to some sailors. I'm giving that a queer reading just because I can. Why not? I have that authority. Yep. (laughs) So they deliver a letter from Hamlet from his trip to England, and I love this because Hamlet mailed his boyfriend another monologue. <laughs> and he's like, hey, dummy, I've been kidnapped by pirates, but they're pretty cool. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, they didn't get kidnapped. Pirates didn't want them. Um, they're still on their way to England. 
I'm coming back to Denmark soon. Sincerely, your high seas lover. The pirate adventure has been cut for time. This is not that kind of play, is it? Nope. Not Claudius receives word that Hamlet's coming back instead of getting murdered by England. But thankfully, Laertes is here and his whole mood is just very fuck around and find out. So he'll be really easy to manipulate into doing Claudius's dirty work. Laertes agrees almost immediately to kill Hamlet, and he goes so far as to say that he would, quote, cut Hamlet's throat in church, which is a baller thing Unlike to say. Unlike Hamlet, right, who, would, who didn't even, who didn't want to kill Claudius at prayer. Yes. So Laertes is also at Hamleting Hamlet, like Fortinbras. Yeah. Mm. That's, a, that's a nice parallel, actually. I actually didn't really think about that. So here is Claudius and Laertes' plan to get Hamlet. Laertes is going to challenge Hamlet to a sword fight, and he'll put poison on his sword. So as long as he draws any of Hamlet's blood at all, Hamlet is guaranteed to die. A cheating motherfucker. Then Gertrude comes in saying, Ophelia's just drowned herself. So... Oh, come on. Sorry to interrupt you, but we've got to have the line. Oh, I love being chastised by you. You do this at least three times per script exchange. I get an, oh, come on, we need the whole quotation. Come on. Her clothes spread wide and mermaid like a while they bore her up. But long it could not be till that her garments, heavy with their drink, pulled the poor wretch from her melodious lay to muddy death. Come on, you gotta have that. How do you know I wasn't gonna do that? Um, I just, I know what you're like, I can just tell you what you're <laughs> yeah. Whereas I love the aestheticization of women's deaths. Yeah, you're a real freak like that. Yeah. You, you and Edgar Allan Poe getting yeah, yeah, off yeah, on exactly, yeah. chicks biting it. Yeah. I mean, you're right, I didn't have that quotation no. down. All I was right, like, okay. we got it. Let's Called keep, the bluff, called the bluff. Keep it snappy, let's, yeah. let's get moving. Lay on McBluff. <laughs> wrong play. Okay, wrong meaning of anything. <laughs> so, like how Laertes is out Hamleting Hamlet, like how Fortinbras is out Hamleting Hamlet, so too does Ophelia, because she at least has the strength to not be. Whereas Hamlet can't do anything. Nor does he top himself. You're good at this. You should get a degree in this. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not being sassy. That's right. a, I, yeah. that, I realize that yeah. came across as... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I was like that, that. Ophelia and Laertes between them have both done what Hamlet failed to do, and, either of which. And Claudius, he's... I mean, by all accounts, Hamlet should be king and outmaneuvering. And he's, he's out-politicking him. I don't... Yeah, I often wonder about that, the whole, like... Why is it that Claudius... This, I, I, probably could, I, I wonder about it without doing any research, so clearly I don't care about it that much, but maybe Denmark doesn't have Salic law. Maybe it's one of those situations. I think we'll find that the Salic law is uh, primarily uh, Frankish-Germanic, uh, whereas in Denmark they have a different... Uh, I find it amazing that you managed to push your glasses up your nose and you're not even wearing <laughs> yeah, glasses. my eyes are getting stronger by the day. <laughs> so, speaking of wisecracking, we're in a graveyard. There are some grave diggers there. They're digging a grave. That's their MO. <laughs> they also wisecrack on the side. You know, you can't have other hobbies. So they're debating the theological niceties of Ophelia's suicide. You know, friend, this is this is above your pay grade. How about you do what your job says? Dig a bunch yeah. of holes and keep to your business, yeah? They're swapping riddles, and they have some kind of literal gallows humor, or near literal. They sing, you know, it's not appropriate for a graveyard. They clearly weren't there at the kind of orienteering. Orientation, not orienteering. <laughs> they weren't there at the orientation. <laughs> that was a witticism that turned into a malapropism that was still funny. <laughs> Hamlet and Horatio turn up. Has this fellow no feeling of his business that a sings in grave making? Hamlet asks. And Horatio's like, well, custom has made it in him a property of easiness. 
Hey, this is the first time you've done Horatio's voice. Could you make him sound hotter and gayer? Uh, I thought that sounded pretty hot and gay. Okay, the gravedigger tosses a skull up. I don't like stand up with props. We're getting into carrot top territory. That skull had a tongue in it and could sing once. But whose was it? A politician? A lawyer? A noblewoman? Who knows? We're all equal in death. You know, a little. That's my two cents, or whatever, Krona, two Krona. <laughs> By all means, let's let the plot idle and neutral, just as we're getting to poison swords. That's the play! Mm -hmm. um, Hamlet then asks the gravedigger whose grave it is, and the gravedigger's evasive. The conversation kind of turns morbid. How long do bodies take to rot? Hamlet is going to get his minor in corpse art when he goes back to Wittenberg. Yeah, yeah. The gravedigger identifies a skull that's been in the ground for 23 years. It belonged to Yorick, the king's jester. Hamlet is kind of melancholically mordant, or indeed mordantly melancholy about it. You know, you pick. It's kind of hard to tell when he sees the skull of his old um, kind of childhood friend, mentor, whatever you want to call it, Yorick. Here hung those lips that I have kissed I know not how oft. Mm. Where be your jibes now? Your gambles, your songs, your flashes of merriment. So Wait, wait, 23 years ago he died. Hamlet was seven. Why was he French kissing the jester? No word of French. It just says kiss. You can kiss someone's lips without French kissing them. I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's it tells us something about you, but not about Hamlet. Why is a seven-year-old kissing the court jester on the lips? I'm sorry, I'm stuck on this. Did Yorick get his CRB? Is Yorick a <laughs> Exactly, yeah. So yeah, Hamlet kind of teases slash laments the, the, the skull, and it's a famous bit. So then the royal court turns up. Turns out it's Ophelia's funeral. Laertes is there, he's upset. He jumps into her grave. <laughs> Not to be outdone, Hamlet announces himself and follows suit. They fight in the grave, in large part about who's the saddest about Ophelia's death. <laughs> and this is such a Catholic funeral. Yeah, Just a people, fist fight yeah. at a grave. They should have taken the bouquet off the casket and tossed it to the crowd to see who'd be next. Yeah, well, everyone catches it. <laughs> we, we've missed that bit with Ophelia giving everyone flowers, haven't we? So, hey, hey. So after Ophelia's funeral, Hamlet and Horatio have a romantic little conversation about what Hamlet's been up to. And he talks about the whole England voyage, right? So on the ship that was taking him to England, he did a little you know, sort of light burglary in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's papers. And he found the note that King Claudius had written ordering Hamlet to get executed by the King of England. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, it's, it's not clear that they had any idea what this message was that they were carrying, right? Like, they might have not have even known. <laughs> just, you poor, Couple of patsies. <laughs> you poor simple himbos, just go back to the gym, you are out of your depth. Even though that they were probably innocent, Hamlet, on the ship, forged a new letter saying that the King of England should put Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to death, and this is, <laughs> this is so fucked. He says specifically, not even to let them pray beforehand so they can go straight to hell. Seven hells, yeah, my dude! Yeah, he's mental. Hamlet is manipulated pretty easily into the fencing challenge with Laertes. So, in addition to Laertes' poison sword, Claudius also poisons a glass of wine that he's reserved for Hamlet to drink. In the sword fight, Hamlet does really well at first. He draws blood from Laertes twice. And Claudius is like, oh, for God's sake, don't tell me he's gonna get, he's gonna win and not get nicked at all with the poison sword. So he's like, here, have a drink of this completely unadulterated wine in celebration. You look so thirsty. And Hamlet's like, you're not my real dad. And he goes back to fighting. 
Queen Gertrude, however, is like, I'm proud of you too, son. Here, give mommy a little drag off this wine. Something, uh, I'm, I'm darling, darling. Some, no, something, something, wine o'clock somewhere, whatever those mommy memes are. I, I, think, you've, I, think, you've, I think you've really had enough, darling. No, Prosecco o'clock. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, so she, she takes a swig from the poisoned goblet and, you know, the fight resumes. And Hamlet and Laertes properly get into it now. We're not doing little, like, prissy to the first blood, whatever. Laertes manages finally to nick Hamlet with the poison sword. So, you know, welcome to death, my dude. Hamlet is done for. But in this scuffle, they drop their weapons and end up swapping swords. Hamlet ends up wounding Laertes. The queen who's then drunk the poison wine collapses, screaming she's been poisoned. Oh, don't feel very well. Yeah, stop being British about it, though. Oh, I feel a bit poorly. <laughs> Queen's poisoned. Laertes is poisoned. Hamlet is poisoned. He doesn't know that yet. Laertes has a bit of a deathbed confession, begs for Hamlet's forgiveness, and tells Hamlet, hey, by the way, that sword that I nicked you with, it's poisoned. You're going to die. Uh, the king is to blame for setting all of this up. Hamlet, in his sort of last act, goes on a rampage, and he stabs Claudius, and then just to make super certain he's dead, he pours the rest of the poison wine down his throat. Taking after his real dad, belts and braces. Yeah! Everyone's just dropping like flies. We are cleaning house. Does this character spark joy? No? Then get in the fucking bin. That joke, courtesy yep. of two years ago. I was ago. Say, yeah, a bit passe. Do you want some, you want some dated humor? Come the, back. The play's 400 years old. <laughs> place, I mean, meanwhile, those gravediggers are probably just getting home and pulling their boots off and getting ready to yeah, unwind. Yeah. So, Laertes dies. The queen dies. Claudius dies. Hamlet snuggles up in Horatio's arms and tells Horatio to tell everyone what happened here. Oh, poor, poor old Horatio. He wants to pull a Romeo and Juliet mm -hmm. and drink the wine. I am more antique Roman than Dane. Oh, right, baby. Baby boy. Yeah, he wants to drink the rest of the poison, follow his, frankly, psychotic boyfriend into the afterlife. Be better off without him, right? Yeah. Horatio's got abysmal taste in men. Yes, yes. Hamlet makes him swear to live on, or at least postpone his suicide long enough to tell everyone how much Claudius sucked, then Hamlet dies. Now cracks a noble heart. Good night, sweet prince, and flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. That's very charming. Yeah. They're so in love. It's all been a bit crazy, hasn't it? Meanwhile, there's a bit of a kerfuffle. Someone's like, hark what yonder kerfuffle breaks. <laughs> it's Fortinbras, he turns up followed by his army. Also, there are some English ambassadors there. Fortinbras is, to say the least, he's a bit perturbed to walk in on everybody being all dead. And the ambassadors are upset because they wanted to tell Claudius that they had done his orders uh, and killed Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I like the idea of Fortinbras walking in on this. Like Grandpa Simpson just walking in, putting his hat down and then grabbing it and walking <laughs> yes, immediately. Yes. Like, just, I walked into a whole thing. The Bullis Cows episode, yes, very good. Horatio's like, well, I suppose you're the boss now, Fortinbras. Please give everyone a good funeral. Lots of fist fights. That's important. Oh, yeah. yeah you know how we do. We all danger press does so for Hamlet, especially. Let four captains bear Hamlet like a soldier to the stage. For he was likely, had he been put on, to have proved most royal. So, Fortinbras thinks that Hamlet would have been a really good king. Clearly doesn't know him like we do. That's the end. 21 gun salute for Shakespeare's most sociopathic dingbat. The yes, end! Yes. That's the Norwegian accent we're going with.
when I read this first, when I was about 18, I was like, oh, Hamlet's so cool, I really want to be like Hamlet, and I really identified with him. I think that's very common, we all sort of think that, yeah. This time, now I am pretty much the same <laughs> age and everything as Hamlet, I identify with him all the more and really hated him. So Ooh, that's I, don't know, revealing. I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, I really, uh, I was like, Jesus, this is painful. It was like sort of a little bit too on too the nose. Too close to home. Yeah. What's your favorite version? Uh, I've only seen two. Okay. Mel Gibson. I didn't like that very much. I also saw the Kenneth Branagh one a few years ago, and that's, it's a spectacle because it's just got so many famous people in it. Uh, it's just mm. ridiculous. Like Gerard Depardieu is in it for no reason. Jack Lemmon's in it. He's one of the guards at the beginning. It's completely absurd. I hate to say this, the best version I have ever seen was the David Tennant version. That's supposed to be really good, isn't it? I know, His... I will know that he's a wrong one, but... <laughs> you genuinely, you could feel the anxiety mm. pouring off of him. You could feel, like, this is a man unraveling. I felt so sorry for him. I, I just, like, yeah. he, he inspired so much compassion. Yeah, and Lion King. <laughs> Tommen and Pumba, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstone of the Animal Kingdom. <laughs> so because there are so many adaptations of this, I was wondering, is there a comedy version of this? Mm. It's clever and the plot is so ridiculous. That whole thing, the play within the play and the, yeah, yeah. the sort of um, the guy who is like, right, I have to do this big thing and then proceeds to not be able to do anything for four hours. It's just like, that. that's funny. Mm. Because it's sort of like, it's dark, and it's farcical, and it's tenuous. This would make a good Ealing comedy. Ooh. Yeah. The weird thing about the Ealing comedies is they're not very... They're not as sort of, like, emotional as this, are they? I think... I, when you were saying a comedy, I was imagining, like... Like a sort of early Woody Allen type film. With that play within a play sequence of, like, we're gonna put on this play, watch this guy, what's his reaction? This is something that... Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm would painfully construct a whole episode around. Mm. Just that whole, like, just watching that guy, what, what's his reaction? Yeah, 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 there we go, that's it. Know, yeah, Larry David is yeah. Hamlet, yeah, you've nailed it, yeah. So, some analysis, please. It's based, with some degrees of separation, on the legend of Amleth. You know, the kind of one of the recordings of that story is by the... Uh, Danish, medieval Danish historian, Saxo Grammaticus. Great name. Yeah. That's some phantom tollbooth shit right there. <laughs> so, Amleth was a Danish prince, does this sound familiar, whose father, Horvandil, king of Denmark, was murdered by his brother, Feng, who subsequently married Amleth's mother, Garutha. Yeah, this is all checking out quite, quite nicely, isn't it? What's more, Amleth feigns madness to get out of the... Uh, kind of meeting the same fate as his dad, and he uh, murders the wrong person when they're hiding behind a curtain, and uh, Feng exiles Amleth to England. There are also a lot of disparities with the uh, more famous Shakespearean work. So Amleth actually goes to England. He tricks the King of England into letting him marry the King's daughter. He gets really rich. He comes back to Denmark, gets everybody in the Danish court drunk and kills them. There are battles, there's a kind of some like international love triangle involving the Princess of England and the Princess of Scotland. That's, you know, that sounds like a much more like Marvel Studios version of Hamlet, maybe. I vastly prefer this version already to the one we're about to do. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, give Saxo Grammaticus a look, he's, you know, available in all good airports. Yeah, Hamlet as a character. Is he a hero? Or a kind of abortive one, maybe. Kind of, kind of makes no difference, although he does avenge his father. Fortune Press invades immediately afterwards. I suppose the kind of ambiguity around the character lends itself to a lot of sort of different registers of reading, doesn't it? So there's those kind of historicised readings of Hamlet 
where like old Hamlet is a sort of medieval style warrior king. I mean, he comes in in a suit of armor, doesn't he? So he's like a kind of knight. Claudius is a kind of Machiavellian type, like a sort of kind of intermediary figure. And then Hamlet is this sort of Renaissance Reformation kind of humanist who mm-hmm. thinks a little bit too much about things and again is burdened with doubt and everything. So, you know, three centuries passing with between three members of the same family. There's something a bit like that going on, isn't there? I like that. That's yeah. a great reading. It's it, not mine, but, but it, is, <laughs> it is one. But it, I mean, this play is deeply concerned with time. It's very intergenerational. Time's out of joint. It's time, yes, says, yeah. time is out of joint. Um, they talk early about uh, what is it, the, the clock striking the hour or whatever, so we're already getting mm. this weird sense of time. Ghosts sort of lingering on past their time ta- at Hamlet, needing to do things now, but deferring, deferring and deferring yeah. and deferring, yeah. Yeah, well also just like the actual plotting is quite uneven, isn't it? Like we have these extended soliloquies of Hamlet just wondering stuff, but then also like the bit between Hamlet seeing his dad ghost and saying that he's going to go mad and then everybody going mad him having gone mad that's like just nothing like there's no Ophelia sort of as well yeah, yeah, there, yeah and, yeah. and in, the whole like England and pirate subplot and all of this like it just yeah it all happens it really swallows up all of the action and um, treats us to the intermediary section yeah probably maybe that's why I quite like it <laughs> <laughs> also all that Oedipal stuff I wonder if that's you know, do you buy that? That whole kind of Oedipal, him or Gertrude? He does talk about her in bed a lot, doesn't he? He talks about her in bed way too much. Yeah. He seems to be not interested at all in his girlfriend at court. Mm. He aligns himself so much with his father, it's very much that whole, like, you I... should be having sex with a Hamlet. Yes. I mean, <laughs> but, but, I mean, like, they do sort of wrestle a little bit mm. in a way that it's, it's a little hard to not see it. Yeah. The philosophical themes in the play, what do you think about that? All the kind of misanthropy and the existential dread and everything. Do you think uh, if, if the world and life are kind of profane, then why even worry about your duty? So much of this is about perspective. Mm. And there's clearly a world outside of this, a world that feels like you can breathe there. Yeah, this yeah, feels yeah. so yeah, claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like the, the limitation on Hamlet's horizons is what's driven him mad. The fact that he stayed at Elsinore and if he'd gone out maybe... If he'd he gone back to Wittenberg. Yeah. Uh, literary, kind of melancholic types. I was trying to think of other ones in Shakespeare. That was just fashionable in the Elizabethan period, wasn't it? To be all kind of like, oh, life is just a veil of sorrow and I here I am in my, you know, really expensive rough and, you know, with my loot and life is miserable. Meanwhile, there's all, like peasants getting their teeth kicked out by aristocrats and, you know, but no, you're the one who's really suffering. But so there's a lot of that in this, isn't there? I think we're meant to maybe think that Hamlet's a bit of a type. And the fact that this is so claustrophobic to the court when they have a whole country to be running and we see next to none of that apart from the gravediggers. I mean, maybe that's why the gravedigger scene is so resonant mm. that that is you say Shakespeare that's the image that it conjures up so sexism then in this do you think that this is a sexist play uh, I mean Hamlet is a misogynist doesn't it? we haven't really like we didn't quote those bits did we but he does all those kind of like women giving it all that and oh yeah take a skull to a woman's bedchamber and say well just try and cover that up with your makeup no you know so I think there was a lot of kind of <laughs> nasty stuff said about women and he's very nasty to his mother and you know. frailty thy name yeah, is woman well, yeah there you go yeah but it's not just I mean this is it's great to be able to separate the characters who say that and Hamlet is definitely a misogynist from then the play itself and what the play does and I'm thinking about Hamlet's descent into madness is it's quick but it's it's subtle and it's complex and it's constantly challenging itself during the whole play Ophelia just goes mad off stage and she has one scene and we get nothing you know she her death happens off screen Claudius has this wonderful bit of guilt we never get much of anything from 
no suspicion or no guilt we or anything any from from Gertrude. Gertrude. No. I mean, Ophelia gets kind of one soliloquy. Mm. Gertrude gets nothing. Gertrude has that moment of guilt in the the famous bedroom thing with the comparing the portraits and stuff, and when Hamlet tries to convince her that Claudius did wrong. But yeah, I mean, but she so doesn't have little. that same kind of interiority that Claudius gets, Hamlet gets, and even like Polonius to an extent. I was thinking about Gertrude, though, that, that might be a sort of strength to modern actresses, given that she, she, we see so little of her. She has enough lines. I mean, she has, she has a decent enough amount of lines, but we don't get any sort of psychological interiority. The play doesn't give us much. So you could play Gertrude in quite a lot ways. of different ways. Yeah, that, and that's, uh, that's such a paradox, isn't it? That Hamlet's complexity, because of the amount of airtime he gets, limits the performer to... Hamlet, there is, he gives us so much. He has so many speeches. You can really focus and heighten on a lot of different elements. Claudius is the middle ground. You can kind of only play Claudius a pretty limited number of ways. Gertrude is so vague. You're like, did she know? Is she? Mm. How upset is she? Is she, you know, is she a bimbo? Is she intelligent? Is she, like, you could do a lot with her yeah. because she has a lot of lines, but she doesn't say very much. If I had to play Hamlet, I think I would really heighten the fact that he's actually a bit of a loser. <laughs> Dropped out of university, moved back in with his parents, has friends that he doesn't really like, can't keep a girlfriend, doesn't have a job, like lost the job that was kind of promised to him, but, you know, mm. can't do anything. He's pathetic rather than tragic. Yes, yeah. yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that is a cool way of uh, interpreting him, yeah. The slacker comedy Hamlet. Yes. But then, but it feeds into almost that incel sort of thing of like, you are the chosen one. A ghost has come to you to say, avenge me. Shit. That's really disturbing me, the Hamlet is inselfing. Because I, I, I wrote that in the summary, that Laertes is a normie. And that's really it, isn't it? Le or Chad. Laertes is the Chad and Hamlet is the incel. Jesus Christ. Uh, Are oh, you yeah. okay? Yeah, you, no, it's just, it's, it's frightening, yeah. isn't it, to think of Hamlet being a, an incel. But you're right. I, I just yeah. I think there are parallels there. Definitely. Yeah, and that's certainly definitely. not that's certainly not to say that anyone who has to move back in with their parents or dropped out of university is, you know, a loser or anything, it's, but it's more that Hamlet just can't <laughs> and he has all the structural privilege behind him mm. and he can't do shit. He can he can't do anything. So here's some advice. If you're reading an author who has written a lot of other works, use those works to help you analyze this one specific text. So what patterns are you noticing between works? Does the author treat the same issues in the same ways, or do they evolve over time? Because I was sort of seeing huge overlaps between this episode and our second episode on Othello. Um, so we have things like taboo marriages, we have some bumbling idiot friends, we have madness, a lot of violence in bedrooms, people being passed over for their rightful due. You know, these things tend to crop up more than mm. once. And what starts out as a coincidence or a loose pattern that you're noticing can end up turning into really deep analysis. And our clue to the next episode, we have another text about the King of the Danes. And this was an accident. <laughs> this is Accidental Denmark Appreciation Month. But the text that we're- Is there we're... any other kind of Denmark Appreciation Month? <laughs> what? Is there any other kind of Denmark <laughs> Appreciation Month? Now we're gonna alienate all of our Danish listeners. Yeah. The text we're doing next time is primarily about a very pissed off mom. So please write into our, do you want, do you want to say this the right into the email thing? So it's not just me talking. Please, can you stop taking the piss? We crave your attention. This is not, we're not doing this, you know, just for our own benefit. We love people to tell us how great we are. Write to us, write reviews. Only good ones, please. Only friendly correspondence. <laughs> um, yeah, make your friends 
listen make. to us Emphasis make them make. make them listen you know daniel and i can't stand each other please we're not doing this out of the goodness of our hearts this is not fun we hate this we do it for you we're only doing it for you so rate review and subscribe tweet us email us you know what to do do it dummies Tara. thanks for listening to save me from my shelf our music is the overture to don giovanni by mozart and cover art is by Catherine wu our thanks to Aston University's Centre for Critical Inquiry and to Society and Culture for funding the startup of this podcast. Contact us at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on Twitter. And do not, I'm going to remind you, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Do not forget. Thank you.